The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We all doing all right this morning? You hungry for God's Word? hope so because we're going to get into it. Today's passage is incredible. We are going to be in Genesis 48, but first, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is uh, towards the end uh, of your Bible. I'm not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's lots of theories about it. We've had, uh, throughout the last several months, we've had a few messages uh, from this book. It's in the New Testament. But Hebrews chapter 11 is what some people call the hall of faith. A hall of faith. There's several people, Old Testament saints, whose, uh, whose great acts of faith are recorded here for us now in these days to read and to look and to uh, understand what was it in their life. And so there's lots of people beginning all the way uh, back with those that God first created and on through the ages. But I want you to see 11 verse 21. Because this is going to shape the chapter that we're in. Remember, just in Genesis, just to keep you up, I'm going to read it here. But to to bring you up to speed, we are on the other side of the famine in Jacob's life. They've come on on the other side of it. They've survived and they've actually not just survived through the famine, but they have thrived. They're prospering. They've come through the turmoil and trials and God has preserved them. He's kept his promises. He's preserved them greatly. And now Jacob or Israel is in his last days and Joseph is going to bring his sons, as we'll see in a moment, those, his, Jacob's grandson for a final visit. And of our chapter that we're going to look at today, look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob... When dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. One verse, one great act of faith. This is Jacob's legacy. This one verse about, uh, about this man's life, we have 20-some uh, chapters in Genesis of, of Jacob's life, the ups and downs, and this is the one act of faith that the writer of Hebrews gives us. This would be likened to what was written on his tombstone, what, he, what we are to know about him. Why? Why? Because this great act of faith shows us two things. One, that he kept the faith till the end. And two, that he passed the inheritance to two outsiders. His grandsons, who were half Egyptian, half Hebrew. To two outsiders. This written to Jewish or Hebrew believers now would be included in the covenant promise which is significant for us as we read through Genesis. We know that only a few generations before, Abraham did not include his half-Egyptian son. But with this in mind here, this great act of faith, God showing us that Jacob is adopting two outsiders into his family is his greatest act of faith. Turn now with me to Genesis 48. We're continuing in our series, God Meant It for Good. We're nearing the end. We're on the other side of the famine. Jacob's life is coming to a close. 
Let's look at this scene. Turn in your, to the under, other end of your Bible and hear this. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who's are, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abram and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, here's what God is teaching us through this passage and the one before it. Here it is, write it down. God multiplies his family through adoption. 
God multiplies his family through adoption. Each and every week, as we've been making this journey through the book of Genesis, we've uh, kind of extracted a nugget of truth that has captured the theme of this chapter, that, is, uh, that displays the grand narrative or the grand theme of, the, of all of the book of Genesis in that God meant it for good. And the reason I've been doing this and encouraging you to write it down and to even write it in your Bible is so that a year from now or 10 years from now, as you are going back, whatever season or circumstance you find in your life, when you need a reminder that God is providential, God is sovereign and he is good, you can go back Back to these chapters and those nuggets of truth will stand out there for you and remind you of how God is working out his plan. Today, God multiplies his family through adoption. And adoption is one of those glorious, beautiful doctrines of the Bible. It happens for us the moment that we are saved, when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Christ. And at that moment, when the Bible calls that our, the moment of our regeneration or the moment that we are saved, two eternal divine declarations are made by God the Father. In the legal sense, we are justified. Or that we have been uh, declared righteous in Christ, where we no longer bear the penalty for our sin, our offense against holy God. Where our sin is placed on Christ and Christ's righteousness, the perfect life that he lived and won for us, was given to us that we could live a holy life. That's our justification. But in the same moment, at that same instance, not just in a legal sense, but in a family sense, we are adopted. We are adopt adopted where God the Father says, she's mine. He's mine. This is my child. And we are then given the name, uh, we, uh, the, the inheritance that comes with the name that is above all names, co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God. It is a glorious truth. I want you to see how this little pocket dictionary describes it. It's on the screen for you. You don't have to write it down. But here's how this. By the way, just as a little plug, sometimes, you know, you hear those like big Christian words, the theological words that, you know, scholars use and all that. I would highly recommend that go on Amazon. This is like, I don't know, $4.99 or something. Pocket dictionary of theological terms. It's a helpful thing. Um, I've had this. It's pretty beat up, waterlogged and all that. Fits kind of in your back pocket. You can bring it to church. And if I use a word, you're like, adoption? What does that mean? Justification? Just flip in here. Pretty handy. So enough of a commercial break. Adoption. Here's what he says. It's God's act of making otherwise estranged human beings part of God's spiritual family by including them as inheritors of the riches of divine glory. This adoption takes place through our receiving in faith the work of Jesus Christ, the Son, being born of the Spirit and receiving the spirit of adoption from Romans 8 and John 3 and other texts. This is what happens. But let's look a little closer now at our passage and see what God's word here has to say, what it teaches us about adoption. First, we are adopted. God multiplies his family through adoption, and here's how he does it. He grafts us in. He grafts us in. We are grafted into the family. Look here at chapter 48, verse 1, how it begins. Jacob is sick, 
And so Joseph takes his sons for a visit. This is nearing the end of his life. Look at how it uh, describes his strength in verse 2. He had to summon his strength. The guy is 147 years old at this point. Do you think he's old and frail? That's right. He's been laying around, so he has to summon his strength. And as he does so, Jacob comes to him with his two sons And the first words out of Jacob's mouth is a restatement of the covenant, of God's promise to him that had passed to him. He's referring to the time that happened back in chapter 35. You can go as you're uh, thinking about these things this week, go back to chapter 35 and you can read about the instance that he's talking here. But it is there that as God has passed on the inheritance, first to Abraham, then to Isaac, now to Jacob, in that where he says, you're going to have multiple offspring. You're going to have this land as an everlasting possession. It'll be their people forever, still to this day, still to this day. God is making this promise with Jacob. And Jacob is now telling this to his son and his grandsons. It's the first words out of his mouth as they are coming for this kind of final interaction with them. And just as by a bit of application here, parents and grandparents, be good at telling your kids and your grandkids of God's work in your life. Be good about uh, sharing the moment that you were saved and those significant moments that God has worked in your life, transforming you, uh, teaching you things about who he is and how you are to live. Be good about sharing those things so that when you get to uh, the end of your days, there is no doubt in your kids' and your grandkids' mind that you loved the Lord and that as you go to die, you are with him. Let them never doubt that. Share it often and excitingly. But look here, he shares that. He restates the covenant. And in verse five, something unbelievable happens. It's what we've already referred to, but here's something unbelievable happens as Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons as his own. He is grafting them in, is a New Testament term from Romans 11. The act of grafting in is, let's say you have a tree. Anybody like horticulturists in here like to grow things, all that? Some of you got green thumbs. Some of you like, yeah, me and plants. No, they come to my house to die. Um, But the act of grafting in is like you have a tree and you can chop it off or you can cut off sections and you can take the little scions from other trees and uh, it's, I won't get into all the details of it, but you can uh, take it down to the certain layer, the kind of the life-giving layer and you peel the bark back and you can graft in or you can take this other branch, this other scion from another tree and put it into the tree and then it just becomes a part of it. It shares the root system, which where all the water and the nutrients come from and come up through the tree, through that, that kind of supple uh, uh, soft layer on the inside and gives that branch a, uh, the life that it needs. It now essentially becomes a part of the tree. And this is what Jacob is doing now with his grandsons. He has said, I am bringing you into my family tree. In fact, he's, he's kind of kicking out Joseph, but not in a bad way because now Joseph gets a double portion. His two grandsons, he now has double the birthright, double the inheritance through his two sons from this family tree. And why is this significant? Why is this important? Not just that he is taking his grandkids and adopting them as his own, 
but because they were outsiders. They're half Egyptian. They were not from the Hebrews. They, and, and up until this point, the book of Genesis has been very careful to, to point out that this family tree must be pure. And the writer of Genesis, Moses, has made a big point as throughout our story of Joseph who his wife was and who his wife's father was. Because not only are these outsiders, not only are these children half Egyptian, their grandfather on their mom's side is a pagan priest. Now Jacob in love and in mercy is saying, these two boys, they're mine. They're mine. They're mine. They are a part of my family. And this is a joyous moment for Jacob in his old age. Even as he refers to there in verse 7 of his wife Rachel dying. That was Joseph's mom, his beloved wife. She has died bringing him great sorrow. But Joseph and Benjamin have given him multiple offspring. Multiple offspring which he delights in. Now just by way of a personal story here. I have a great family. Some of you have met my mom and dad. They, uh, they love me and support me deeply. They love the fact that I'm in ministry, even though they live far away there in Wisconsin. Here I am. They've taught me many great things about how to live, of how to love, how to be loyal, how to work hard, how to serve and value people. I've never questioned their love and their support for me. But God also, in his grace, has given Aaron and I uh, a glimpse into what adoption is all about. For when we were teenagers, and Aaron even before that, we were adopted into the Schmidt family, so to speak. Not legally, but we became such good friends with their children that we were really a part of the family. At any time we were with them, there was a seat that was saved for us. There was, we had a ride. There was a plate for us at the, at the meal. We got in on whatever they were doing. We were just a part of their family any time that we were among them. They really showed us what it was like to be in their family, introduced into this family through the son to experience the blessings of the father, of the mother, these parents. And it gave us a glimpse into this. But beloved, if you're a Christian today, praise Jesus that he has brought you to the Father. That you have been adopted into God's family. That was what was captured in Romans 5 that Aaron read while we were singing. That it is Christ who gave us the introduction into the grace in which we now stand before the Father. And God has brought us near. No matter what our family situation is here, our physical earthly family, you have room and an inheritance in the family of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that we have been adopted into his name? But as we seek to apply this, who is it that you want adopted into the family? Here's the benefits, the blessing, the inheritance that you may know as a believer. But who is it that needs to know in your life that we're saving a seat for you? And we're saving a seat for you. You've seen the things that are on the, the benches there. Those aren't just like some uh, slick church growth gimmicks. But it is a way to equip you if there's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a classmate that you know is outside of God's family that you can reach out to them. God has strategically placed you in their life, on the street, in the same job, whatever it is, that you can come along and share the blessing 
of it is to know and be adopted by this family. See, my friend Jesse, he loved his family and he wanted me and others to know how great it was to be in his family. Not in a boastful, arrogant, prideful way, like his family was somewhat better than than my own, but he wanted me and others to appreciate the experience of being in this family. And beloved, this is what we get to do every day. As we invite and we invest people to say, hey, come, let me show you what it's like to be a part of this family. God is doing a great work. There is blessing, there is hope, there is comfort. As you fervently pray for them, pray that God would graft them in. Pray that God would graft them in, those who are outsiders, those who are the, the least likely. Say, God's saving a seat for you in his family. God uses us to graft people into this physical family to display what it means to be adopted into his spiritual family. We are grafted in. We're adopted. But second, our adoption, it's a gift. It's a gift. Look at here how the book ends of our, of our next verses here of, of 8 and, and 11. Israel sees Joseph's sons. He, he says, who are these? He's blind. He's very old. Of course, his eyesight is failing. And Joseph initially, as he replies and answers to his father, he gives this great insight. He says, these are my sons whom God has given me. He says, they are a gift. And then in verse 11, as Israel responds to his response, he says, I never expected to see your face, but now I have this gift of not only seeing yours, but I get to see your kids. See, adoption is a gift. Children are a gift from the Lord, aren't they? God gives us, he takes them away, he entrusts them to us for our discipleship, for our own personal holiness. God gives us children as a gift. He says, here, raise them. They're mine, they're made in my image, now raise them and disciple them as a gift from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord, and we, we should take that so seriously. We, we, we have to be invested in their discipleship in godliness even more than we are invested in their discipleship in sports and in academics and in social things and all the other things that we have a very limited amount of time to pour into them. But God is Kindness has given them to us as a gift. Children are a gift from the Lord, as is reconciliation. That's what Joseph, or Jacob, rather, in verse 11 is highlighting here. He's saying, I never expected to see you 40-some years ago when I was told by your brothers that you were killed by a wild animal and I had that multicolored coat in my hand that was torn up and bloodied. My life was hopeless at that point. I was at the lowest place in my life. And now, fast forward 40 years, what great joy, the highest of highs that I now have. Because I never thought I would see you again. And now I am seeing your children here before me. This is a gift. It's a part of the gift of adoption. So Jacob is blind He's not so blind to see the grace of God. As a matter of fact, Jacob is seeing more clearly now than he has ever seen in his 147 years of life. He is seeing more clearly what God has done through the ups and downs of his life. And I pray, beloved, that we are not blind to the things of God in our own life. 
This is what God does, that, that he opens our eyes to see. This is another metaphor for our salvation. When God opens up our eyes to see the glory of this adoption, of this salvation. And he may be doing that even in your own life this morning. He may be opening your eyes to see the glory of being in his family in a way that you've never seen it before. There's a seat being saved for you. You are being invited in. You know, like in the adoption process, it's the, the office is open today. It's not closed on Sundays. There's not the paperwork and the, the, the judge and all the rulings that you have to go through because that's already happened. Christ already paid the debt for the adoption that you can come in and receive it. Is God opening your eyes to that? Then let today be the day where your family status changes. Just pray, repent, believe, turn upon the Lord, call upon Christ, say, Christ, you are the one who's bringing me in. I don't get all this, but I'm trusting you. I'm following you into this family. So you can pray. And pray now, pray where you're seated, pray with the person sitting next to you. We can pray and let's talk about it right after the service. But if God is opening your eyes to see the glory of what it is to be in his family, let's do it even today. Let's talk about it. Receive the gift that is being offered. Adoption is a great gift. But it also, it also goes against the grain. Adoption goes against the grain. To say it another way, it breaks cultural norms. Look at where we pick up in, in verse 12 here. We've seen this idea of a gift, and then in verse 12, Joseph takes his sons off his knees and bows himself to face the earth, which is actually kind of funny because it's not like these are two young boys. These, the boys are likely 18 and 20 years old, and they're sitting on his lap, and so now he's saying, okay, go, go ahead and get up. You know, it's like, Who's uh, Paul and, and Josh? You're like 18 and 20, right? So why don't you bring a chair up in here? Let's uh, demonstrate this for everybody. I'll sit on it and you can, uh, so you can sit on my lap. You know, you're not about it? No, okay, well, we don't have to do that, but I do actually want you two to come up here because I want us to see the, what's happening in this passage because it's an 18 and a 20-year-old uh, boy with their, their grandfather. And so I need an older man. To, um, we got anybody that's blind and with a cane or anything? No? David? David, David you're, uh, come on up here. Come up here. And let's, uh, let's, let's play out this little uh, scene that's, that's happening now before us because it's, it's actually uh, quite, um, quite humorous. They hop off his knees. We got... Uh, um, the older son here, Manasseh, the younger son, Ephraim. It's actually Paul and Josh. Josh is heading out to UNT in a few weeks. He's like super smart, studying engineering, stuff like that, right? Yeah, what kind of engineering? Mechanical, Mechanical engineering. All right. So pray for Josh as he heads out, heads up to Denton and goes on campus. Josh, uh, or Paul here, he's recently married and is also uh, leading, coordinating uh, our student discipleship. And so um, if you have students in 6th grade to 12th grade, um, get with him, get with his wife, uh, Sarah, and they can give you the details uh, as we launch student ministry stuff in through the fall. So, um, but enough about that. And so, David, you're here. Thankfully, you're not blind. You're able to, to make it up here and uh, serve us so kindly. 
That's right. For 140, he's, uh, he's, he's looking pretty good. So look at, the, look at the passage here, and let's just walk through it. So Joseph takes them both, Ephraim and, uh, and Manasseh. And so just kind of put your hands out here, um, David, like you're, you're old, and I bring him here, and I'm going to bring, since he's the older son, I'm going to put him at his right hand. The right hand was the place of, of uh, power, of uh, significance. And the younger son, to receive the blessing, at his left hand. And so when in so doing, putting him in front to put his hands out on their head, but Jacob's a little wily, isn't he? What does he do? Whoop! Crosses his hands. Crosses his hands. And Joseph's reading this. Joseph's watching all this. He stretches it across to the younger. And in so doing, he blesses Joseph. Jacob, or Israel's covenant name, he blesses first the father. And so for purposes here, uh, I'll be Joseph. And look at what he says in verse 15. This verbal blessing, he calls upon the name of the Lord, this family heritage uh, of Abram and Isaac. And then he says, to God, who's my shepherd? Now that's significant, right? Because all along we've seen that shepherds are the low road. But here he's calling God most high, the shepherd, the one who's protected and preserved his life to this day, these 147 years. And then in verse 16, it's very interesting, calls him the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. What you have captured here is actually a reference to Jesus. The pre-incarnate Christ. It's uh, referring to what happens in chapter 32, but in Genesis when it's the angel of the Lord who redeems. What does that put in our mind here? Who's our redeemer? Jesus. Jesus is the one that has redeemed us through, uh, uh, through his death on the cross. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet, mind you. But Jacob is referring to it and he says, bless the boys in them. Let my name be carried on. So he has this great, great blessing and gives that to the father and then jo- joseph look what he displeases him he's like dad what are you doing not this way my father not this way in verse 19 look it's it's maybe sarcastic here but his father refused and said i know my son i know don't you kind of get like he's patronizing him a little bit like hey there young whippersnapper i know exactly what i'm doing here The irony is, is this isn't the first time that this has happened. This is why it breaks cultural norms here. Because Jacob himself, 100 plus years ago, did the same exact thing to his dad as he hoodwinked his older brother to get the birthright, his older brother Esau. And so this has been happening. And Abraham did the same. He did not pass the blessing to his firstborn son, Ishmael, but gave it to Isaac. And so in this book, in Genesis, there is this theme or this emphasis of an elevation of the younger above the older. See, God doesn't, God doesn't just always play by cultural or social norms. God has his own rules. And God is elevating the weak, the younger one. Although you're pretty strong, you could probably beat up your older brother, right? Probably. Probably, probably. <laughs> well, thank you guys. You can be seated. Let's continue. Let's give him a hand, you know. It can be dangerous when the preacher calls upon somebody to be a, 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 a sermon illustration, right? But what's happening here, he doesn't like it. He reverses it because God goes against the grain. He breaks social norms, elevating the younger over the older. And after he blesses them, after this whole thing, Jacob reiterates the covenant and then he blesses them just with a brief blessing here by 
By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. It's a prayer wish. It's a well wish to these boys that as you read your Old Testament, you will see God bringing to fruition. As a matter of fact, as you read um, on through, like when, if you start in uh, Joseph or Joshua, rather, there's too many J names in our Old Testament. Uh, if you start in Joshua and you work your way through, you will see Ephraim, the younger son, be elevated. His tribe, his nation multiplies greatly. They are some of the, the greatest uh, uh, warriors of the, uh, of, that, of the tribes of Israel. And even later, as you continue on through your Old Testament history, as the uh, land of Israel is divided into two separate kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel is one of the mighty ones of the northern, or Ephraim is one of the mighty ones uh, in the tribe of Israel, in the northern ones. So much so, even as you read through like the, the prophets and things, as well that Ephraim, that name is used in league with or synonymously to Israel. And so sometimes we're reading it, it's not just referring to that specific tribe, but to the whole kingdom of Israel, to, the, to all t- the 10 tribes that would uh, be in that northern kingdom. And so what Jacob is doing here actually comes to fruition throughout our Old Testament history. God doesn't work in league with the things of the world. As a matter of fact, God is all about elevating the lower, the younger, the weaker ones. He chooses the least likely, the least influential, the least powerful ones. His eye is not looking for the most athletic, the most intelligent, the most smooth-talking ones who could steal his glory. But he's all about taking weak enemies of his own and making them his children. And so even as you think about that question that I posed just a few minutes ago, who do you want adopted into God's family? Who has God put on your heart? Who are you praying for? As he is putting those people on your mind, what's your adoption criteria? Is it somebody just like you? Is it somebody famous and influential here in town? The, the, those things that the cultural norms would say, yeah, we want that person. If that person becomes a Christian, better watch out. All the time losing sight of the power of Christ and his gospel. Cultural norms also tell us that we should, uh, we, we should only be around people that are exactly like us that like the same things that we do, that look the same way that we do, that go to the same places that we do. But is all that in line with God's criteria? Because I think as we start here and as we look through our scriptures, we see a diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-generational people of God, a family of God that worship Him. Revelation 5 gives us a great picture of that, As we get the, the scene into heaven, as the curtains are kind of torn back, and in Revelation 5, we see what's happening there. We see a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, men and women of diverse skin color, languages and ages, all worshiping God's great son. What a picture that is, isn't it? What a picture. And may God make us a church family just like that, a family of diversity, of background and ages, all committed to the glory of God the Father, the exaltation of his son, who are walking in his spirit, adopted into his big family. God, make us a church like that.
Can we be a people like that? But how are we, how are we proactive in things like that? How, how can we see that happen? Because we're, we kind of got our life going on. We got schedules. We've got things. How do we go against the grain? How do, we, how do we invite people into our homes and our lives to get to know them? Because here's the other thing. In our culture, we live in this very privatized uh, society, don't we? Our homes are our bunkers. They're safe places with alarm systems and front door cameras and privacy fences around them. We pull into our garages. We hide there until we must emerge the following morning. We live in a society that is more connected than ever, but less known than ever. We know lots about people, but we do, we truly know people. So how do we get out of that? How do we get out of that? Well, as I've said, it's by drawing people near. It's by bringing them in. It's by inviting and investing in other people. Those that God has put into your life. If you're an empty nester, is there a young couple that you can adopt? Inviting them into your life, investing in them for their good, helping to meet physical needs that they have, helping to meet spiritual needs, uh, praying for them, serving as grandparents if their grandparents live far away. We adopt others into that, into our space. We invite them in, invest in them that they may know the God whom we love and serve, this family that we are excited to be a part of. Parents, is there a neighborhood kid? Are there classmates of your children that you can adopt, that you can invite and invest? Maybe they're from a single-parent home or or, uh, just in in a rough time, or maybe you're getting to know the parents as well, whatever the case may be. Who can you adopt and bring in? You don't even have to be married. If you're single, who who are some kids that live on your street, that live in your apartment complex, that are here within our church, that you can adopt and bring near? They can be a part of your family. And I'm not even speaking in the the sense of adoption. I'm just saying bringing them close by. If God's calling you to actually legally adopt, to bring kids in, praise the Lord for that. Let's talk about how we can do that because there's nothing so glorious where the gospel is on display where we can show God's adopting love of us when we adopt physically here on earth. This is what God does. It goes against cultural norms. It goes against all the things that that our society says here are valuable. And yet God is saying, no, here, pour yourself out. Give up of yourself and draw others in. Adopt them into your family. And yet the best blessing of all in all of our adoption here, the beauty of the gift that it is, the beauty of that we were once outsiders and enemies and God bringing us in, Look how our chapter ends. Verse 21. We get his presence. We get God's presence. Even after all these blessings, after the cultural norms, after this whole exchange here, and Jacob being wily and blessing and elevating the other one, Jacob just acknowledges, I'm going to die soon. I'm old. But who will always Be with them and with us, no matter who comes in and out of our life. What does it say? But God will be with you. And he will fulfill his promises. 
He will fulfill his promises, taking them again into the land. Jacob wouldn't see it. Joseph wouldn't see it. His sons wouldn't see it. It'd be some time before they make that great exodus out back to the promised land. But God was going to do it. And he even promises a specific portion of land that two other brothers, one in chapter 34, as they were avenging their sister, it gives them this specific piece of land that years and years later would actually happen. Beloved, God is the Father who is always present and always faithful. He's never too busy. He's never forgetting. He's adopted us into his family because he delights in us. It's not like, yeah, hey, come be part of my family. See you later. I got things to do. No, God's capacity is unending. It's unending. He can have as many children as, as uh, he desires to have because he can bring them in and he's got time and capacity for them doesn't matter what uh, your present life is, your present circumstance, your present relationship with the Father, because God's presence is always with you. Praise the Lord for that. Wherever you go, work, home. You know what? Paul taps into this in Romans 8. He taps into this great glorious truth in, in Romans chapter 8, this idea of adoption when he says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So God's Spirit in your life, you are his son or daughter. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with the our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Beloved, we can't force our way into the family, but God brings us in through Jesus Christ. We're co-heirs with him. We're co-heirs with him, dependent upon dad. That's what he's talking about, that our spirit cries out. You ever hear, like, in the hallway, one of the things that delights my heart when Gemma comes in after service or whatever, and what does she cry out from her heart? Daddy! You want to talk about melting a dad's heart? That's it. I know in a, a, a day not too long from now, when she hits her teen years, that's probably going to wane a little bit. But for now, while she's three, I'll take it all. <laughs> I'll take it all. I'll take it all. But this is what we do. As, the, as children of God, who do we cry out to? Cry out to other things? We're dependent upon dad. See, we've been bought out of slavery to sin and to fear by Christ through his suffering. And now we get his presence as members of his family. And where God is good happens. Where God is good happens. God shows you this. He walks with you. He's with you as you share your faith, as we worship him, as we, uh, as we open up his word, as we're praying. God's presence is with us. It's one of the benefits of being in his family. Even as we suffer with him, who is still with us? God the Father. God the Father walking with us. You know, of the 20 plus chapters of Jacob's life, of all the ups and downs, the knuckle-headed things, the great acts of faith, 
this chapter and what he just did in bestowing the blessing upon his two grandsons who were at once outsiders is his greatest act of faith. Preserving his faith to the end. It's his greatest act of faith. So that's the question. Who are you saving a seat for? Who are you adopting into the Lord's family, so to speak, introducing them to the Son, to Jesus Christ, that they may experience the blessing and the joy and the love of knowing God the Father? It's a great act of faith. See, God multiplies his family through adoption. This is how the kingdom of God grows. This is how the church and the gospel increase. That the family tree that we are a part of, the person that, that shared their faith with you, in effect, putting them in the family tree. So now that tree continues to grow, continues to grow, physically speaking, as we tell others about the gospel, as we tell them about Christ, adopting them in. As we say, we're saving a seat for you. We're saving a seat for you.